Thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Church Podcast. Here at Velocity, we love to hear about how lives are changed. And if that's you, let us know and send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now enjoy today's message. Today we're going to continue in Hebrews chapter 12 because my goal isn't just to give you a message that you can apply, but I also want to show you a plan that you can put into practice. And Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the two verses we're looking at, these are some pretty well-known verses of Scripture. Like even if you're not familiar with the Bible, maybe you wouldn't consider yourself a church person, you've probably come across these two verses before. In fact, these two verses, they're kind of like the dumbbells of Christianity. You know, like, like in the weight room, anybody go to the gym? Anybody go to the gym? Yeah, you know, like even if you don't use the dumbbells, like you know what they are, you know that they're there, right? Go ahead and actually come up here, Danny. I asked Danny to help me illustrate this. Got some dumbbells. Do you think you can handle those? Is that all right? Is that too heavy for you? It's a, it's a funny story about these. I actually got these for my son Reese for Christmas one year because he wanted to, to work out and get into shape. And so we started them out with, with those. But, you know, all of us are familiar with dumbbells, but uh, the reason I say these are like the dumbbells of Christianity because lots of times what happens is we think we need like some sort of special knowledge, some kind of deeper revelation. We, we need something in order to grow in our faith. There's a lot of stuff we don't know. And if we just knew more, had more insight, had more knowledge, we could really grow in our faith. But what I'm trying to show you is like you can do a lot with just two dumbbells. I mean, you can hate your life if you know what to do with these. Like, you can do some, some squats with these dumbbells. You, you, can, uh, you can do some lunges with these dumbbells, right? You know how to lunge. You can, uh, you can do some shoulder presses with these dumbbells. You can uh, do my favorite, uh, some, some curls with these dumbbells. Do some tricep kickbacks with these dumbbells. You can do all sorts of things with these dumbbells. Can you give them a round of applause? Thanks, Andy, for helping us out. Well, here's the same thing. If you know what to do, if you can just take one scripture and if you know how to apply it, if you know how to put it to work, it'll change your life. You don't need all sorts of special revelation and deeper knowledge. You just need to put to work the verses that you do know. So that's what we're doing in this series. We're, we just got these two verses and we're putting them to work. I'm showing you some new exercises. I'm showing you some different ways to use these that maybe you didn't know about before. And so Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, I got my TV back with me today. We're gonna try this out. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I wanna use for my message today, this zero in on this part right here, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And I'm calling this message today, if you're taking notes, fix your frame. Fix your frame. That's always my custom to pray before we get into God's word. So I would just ask that you would bow your head with me. I'm going to ask that God will help me and that he'll use this message to speak to you. So would you bow your head? God, we thank you so much for your word and for your truth. God, I'm so thankful that every time we go to your word, you speak. 
And I'm asking that you will do it again. We thank you for it, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before I get into this message, I just wanna uh, go back to something Pastor Andrew mentioned with our book, The Proving Ground. I'm gonna be kicking off this series in just a couple weeks in February. And it's our goal, the reason we're doing our groups this way is because we want everybody to be part of a group. Now I have group signups today, but it's not signups like normal. You can actually sign up today to lead a group. And the reason we're all going through this is because we wanted to make it so easy for you. Maybe some of you thought about leading a group, but you've been unsure. Maybe some of you uh, are willing to open up your home, but you're unwilling to facilitate. There might be lots of reasons. That's why we're all going through this, so we can all be growing together. And it's my hope that every single person here who's sitting in a chair today would participate in a group in some way, whether leading are joining, and so we have a bunch of people out there that are gonna help you answer all your questions, but if you don't consider leading, which is what you can sign up for today, at least consider joining a group, and God is gonna use this series as we all go through it together. It's gonna transform the way we think about what God wants to do in our life. Well, with that in mind, I have a question I wanna ask you as we get into this message, is that how many of you are morning people? Can you just show me morning people? I'm gonna be honest with you, I expected a lot more from the nine o'clock crowd. Uh, let me just see your hands once again. Morning, people, raise your hand, raise it proud. Uh, not a lot of you. I guess by the process of elimination, the rest of you would be night people, although I don't wanna leave you out, so can you just raise your hand, night people? You say you're a night person. Now, some of you did not raise your hand on any, any of those. Are you like a, a noon to five o'clock kind of person? Is that, it's like that's your hours of operation. Um, it might not be a surprise to you, but uh, I am not, a morning person by nature. I, I'm not. I, uh, now, I've, I've been forced to become a morning person because I have these things called children and a job and something called responsibility, but left to my own devices, I would probably tend to be more of a night person. Being a night person is just my naturally more productive time. That's what's made this fast so hard for me because I told you the first week, one of the things I was laying aside was working in the evening because I feel like I'm always working. And so it's really bad when that's your most productive time. I'm not being very productive at all these last two weeks, let me tell you. But I've been laying that aside. Funny thing, unrelated to my sermon at all, I saw on Instagram the other day, this person I follow, I know, uh, she was talking about being a morning person and she's a runner, so I already don't like her. And she was talking about how she wakes up at 5.30 a.m. and runs every day. And, and she was saying, you know, like left to my own devices, I, I wouldn't be a morning person. Like I'd probably naturally wake up at 7 a.m. And I stopped her right there. I said, listen, if you wake up by 7 a.m., naturally, by definition, you are a morning person. Like for me, God's not even speaking until we get to double digits. That's the way it works for me. But so after I rebuked her and pointed it out to her, um, I let her go on her way. But I'm just trying to say, I'm trying to become more of a morning person and uh, it's not easy for me. And the reason I'm setting all that up is so you don't judge me by the next thing that I tell you because one of the things I've been doing uh, in my best effort is, you know, I start my day, I try and get to the gym by 6 a.m. Now, in full disclosure, it doesn't happen all the time, but on my good days, that, that's when, when I'm getting there. And because I'm not a morning person, 
Like I have learned all the secrets on how to maximize the time that I can stay in bed so I can have the very minimal amount of time I need to get to the gym. Anybody else like me in this? Just let me know that I'm not alone, that you're not silently judging me. So say I I do this and like I will lay out my clothes the night before. I'll make sure that the coffee is ready to go. I'll make sure I got my shoes out. I'll do all these little tricks. I could teach you all the tricks to make sure you got to stay in bed as long as possible. And one of the things that I do is uh, I, I wear contacts and I, I always sleep with my contacts in. Now, I can feel your judgment right now. And for any optometrist in the room, I know you're gonna write me an email and tell me how bad that is for my, I've been doing it since I was 16, all right? So uh, just stop while you're ahead. But I, I, I do this and I sleep with my contacts in and I don't know, maybe it's the change in weather. Maybe it's, you know, 20 years of doing this. I'm not sure, but my eyes have been starting to, to dry out. So I've been, uh, I switched to glasses this week uh, just to kind of fix my eyes, let them recover a little bit. And uh, the problem with that is I hate wearing glasses. I do, I hate wearing glasses. And some of you are like, yeah, well, I can see why. You look terrible. No, that's not because I don't like the way I look. It's because I am a horrible glasses-wearing person. I am. Like, I've broken so many pairs of glasses but that's not even the issue. That My problem with glasses is I'm always getting them messed up. Like I'm always getting them fingerprinted by my kids. Like I go to drink coffee and they fog up immediately. And it like seems to never fail that my glasses get like specks on them and smudges on them. And I don't know if what the writer in Hebrews, when he wrote this, if this is what he meant, but I think the principle applies. And this is the principle that I wanna share with you is that if we're not careful, uh, even just without realizing it, if we're not attentive, if we're not proactive, there's things that we pick up along the way that get in our frame. Contaminants, junk, that they start sticking to our frame. And if we're not careful, the, the, the frame becomes the source of the problem. Even though it's meant to be the thing that would fix the problem. Now, I recognize like not everybody wears glasses in here, but the truth is you have some frames of your own. You, you have some frames and, and that's why we all have to be attentive and proactive in fixing our frame and fixing our frame. And I see it with what the writer says in Hebrews. And it's within this text because the writer shows us a connection between our perspective and our perseverance. That there's a connection between our perspective and our perseverance. And I wanna talk to you about that today because our perseverance and our perspective are connected. And he gives us a clue in this text. And I wonder if he saw it. Now, we don't have to think too deeply about this to just understand how it relates to our life. I was talking about glasses, but we can talk about it in a lot of different ways. You can take a completely different scenario. Just think, for example, when you are driving in your car and you're driving and it starts storming and maybe it was the past, you know, Kansas blizzards of 2018 and 19 that you just drove through. Maybe it's rain, I don't know. But it can, be, it can get to the point where it's storming so much that your visibility becomes obscured, what do you do? The moment your vision becomes obscured, you slow down. It can get so bad sometimes, I've had this happen, where you actually have to pull off to the side of the road and just wait for it to stop 
because you can't see. Well, that's what the writer's trying to show us. See, I, I see so many Christians, they get slowed down and they get stuck in patterns all because of their perspective. Because your perspective and your perseverance are connected. And to prove it, the author gives us a frame of reference. And he gives it to us in this text, and I don't know if you saw it, but we'll, we'll read it again just so we can all, all see it together. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Did you see it? You see what he's saying here? The, the writer's telling us that even though we're all running a race and you are running your race, it's not somebody else's race, it is a race that is marked out for you. He says, we're not running it alone. There's some other people that are running it with us. There's some other people that are cheering us on. And one of the things, but the big clue in this passage is this very first word, therefore. Now, a little bit about me. My dad was a pastor. He pastored for 60 years, and he taught me early on that when you see the word therefore, you better find out what it's there for. That's cheesy, but it's true because this word is a connection word. It's saying that there's some stuff that comes before that you need to know about in order to understand the context of this verse. It's a frame of reference. And so if you look back in chapter 11, what you discover is the writer of Hebrews begins to list out all these people who did great exploits and lived amazing lives for God. He says there are these people like, like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Noah and Moses and Samson all these people, he mentioned Rahab, who was a prostitute, so don't even think for a moment that God can't use you if you have a past. He says, all these great people, and he lists how God used them. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 is often referred to as the hall of faith. Why is that? Because all the heroes of the Old Testament, their names are mentioned there, how they lived for God, what they did for God. And so if we're gonna have a frame of reference, if we're gonna understand what he's talking about, we gotta go back and see what he said. So let's look at this together. He starts out this way. He says, this is where Hebrews 11 starts. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. What does that mean? All it means is that all these people that he's gonna mention, those names that I just listed off to you, the reason we know these stories about their life, the, the reason that we know about them is all because of their faith. It's because of how they lived. Then it goes on to the next verse as he's getting ready to connect it to these people, how it applies to our lives. He says, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. This is the frame that the author wants you to understand about faith. This is what he's trying to help you understand about this race that you're in. Is 
This is trying to get you to understand this framework, this system. It's not as much about great exploits and escapades and all the things they accomplished as it is about the system with how it works. And I've heard so many definitions of faith over the years. We have so many definitions for faith that it's almost become meaningless because it means everything. You know, like, like we, we use that word for anything we wanna talk about. Sometimes say, hey, well, this is a person of faith. We'll say, this is a faith-based organization. We'll say, blind faith. That's just a nice way of saying you're an idiot sometimes. Well, they just had blind faith. You know, we'll, we'll talk about somebody lost faith or somebody came to faith or we'll encourage somebody to keep the faith or have faith or talk about the amount of faith. They have great faith or little faith, all these different things to talk about faith. But I wanna tell you that faith is not a formality. Faith is not a feeling and faith is not a formula. In fact, if you can reduce faith to a formula, it's not faith because you don't need faith for the things that you can explain. You need it for the things that you can't see. And what the writer is trying to help us understand is that faith is a framework. It's a framework. He's giving us a frame with which we can view God's plan for our lives, the race that's marked out for us and how it works. Sometimes the frame is even more important than the picture. Understand what I'm saying? Let me, let me put it a different way. Sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it. You can say the right thing the wrong way. And what you meant to say to help somebody can end up hurting somebody all because of how you framed it. It's called framing. See, I've, I've learned a lot about framing because, well, I have four kids and with framing, you gotta, you know, it's all about how you say it. Like, you know, with my kids, I might ask them to do something, but if I don't frame it the right way, I get a response that I don't want. I might say, hey, will you go clean your room? And if I just ask them a yes or no question, just a polar question, they might say something that I disagree with. But if I say it like this, hey, would you rather go clean your room or never play Fortnite again a day in your life? Well, it's, it's called framing. It's, it's, all, it's all how you frame it. But here's the thing, in both of those instances, it's not the facts that are different, it's the frame. It's how you frame it. And what I've found is that in our life, a lot of people respond to the exact same set of circumstances, respond to the same situation differently, all because of their frame. And this is what I wanna tell you about that. That it's not the facts that are different, it's the frame. The, the, the reason people fail isn't their situation, isn't the problem, isn't what they encounter. It's not the facts that are different. It's the frame that's different. And I can illustrate this a few different ways. The, the same thing that makes somebody feel insecure, a person with a different frame can respond to it with confidence. Your frame can make you feel fear in the same situation where somebody else would feel brave. Your frame might cause you to feel inadequate 
in the exact same situation where somebody else feels confident. Your frame might cause you to feel like guilty or it might cause you to feel offended when somebody else feels grateful or appreciative or thankful. It's all about the frame. And since the writer of Hebrews mentions some of the heroes of old, I thought, well, let's just look at one of them. How about David? You probably know the story of David. David, greatest king who ever lived in the history of Israel. But after he was anointed king, he didn't become king immediately. He was still serving his father in the field. And one day, when he was going out to run an errand for his dad, he comes up on the rest of the Israelite army, shaking in their sandals because of some giant that was hurling insults at them. You know the story? You can find it in 1 Samuel. David he's go, goes out early in the morning. His dad asks him to take some lunch. His brothers are in the army. They're on the front lines. David gets out there, and he, hear, he hears this giant, Goliath, hurling insults. Every day he comes out, insults the armies of God, the nation of God, the people of God. And David says, why is nobody doing anything about this? Everybody else got scared when Goliath came to battle, but David saw it completely different. Why is that? It was his frame. When the nation of Israel was being insulted, David didn't look at the giant. He looked at his God. When he said, we can do something about this, I can handle this, and everybody else challenged his ability, challenged his qualifications, challenged him in, in what he thought he could do. He didn't think about his limitations. He thought about the lion and the bear and the faithfulness of God. And see, sometimes the things in your life that are holding you back aren't your circumstances, they're your frame. That's why you need to fix your frame. Now, having a faulty frame doesn't make you a bad person. Having a faulty frame doesn't mean you're not a Christian. Having a faulty frame doesn't mean that you're not gonna go to heaven. But what it does mean is that it downgrades your quality of life because of the things you're letting in the frame. It, it's holding you back from the race that God has marked out from you. It's holding you back from the things that God has called you to do all because of what you let in your frame. And here's why it matters. Because you can't move forward with a faulty frame. A faulty frame will keep you from going forward to what God has called you to do. I mean, some of you, you have framed your day to suck before it even gets started. Man, it's gonna be a tough week. Well, I guess so. Because that's how you framed it. But what would happen if you framed it differently? What would happen, and instead of saying, oh, I'm so busy, what would happen to say, man, my life is full? What if, instead of saying, oh man, I'm, I'm so stressed, what if instead of being stressed, you said, you know what, I'm being stretched? It's a, it's a small tweak, but it's a completely different frame. You know, whenever I'm being filmed for some of the different stuff we do at church, our creative team will always say, hey, let me get you framed up first. Let me frame it up. Now, I'm not pretending to know what that means, but what would happen if you framed it up first? If you framed it up? That's what worship is, by the way. 
It's why it's so important that you come in here and you begin to get your eyes on God, what he's doing in your life, because there's so many things that happen during the week that contaminate and clutter our frame and get stuck and block our view of what God is doing in our life. We become fatigued in our faith. And if you've ever become fatigued in your faith, the writer of Hebrews, he gives us a secret to correct it. It's in Hebrews 2. He says this. He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. In other words, your faith and your frame needs to have a focal point. And I wonder if the writer of Hebrews was thinking about Peter when he wrote this, because you know what happened to Peter, right? There's that one time where Jesus came out walking on the water, the disciples were out in the sea, and Jesus was walking, and they were all freaked out because they didn't know who it was, they didn't know it was Jesus, they thought it was a ghost at first, and then Peter speaks up, he says, I think it's Jesus. He says, hey, Jesus, if that's you, let me come. I don't know what the logic was in that. I don't know if that's like a normal thing. Like, hey, I see you doing this. I want to do it too. But he says that nonetheless. And Jesus says, it is me. Come. So Peter jumps out, gets on the water. And he starts walking. And those of you who know the story, well, you know what happens next. It says that when Peter saw, he looked around and he saw the wind and he saw the waves, he began to sink. Now, the way we read that, the way we interpret that, we read it as if it was the wind and the waves that caused him to sink. But if you think that's the case, I want you to try this out the next time you're at the swimming pool, okay? I don't care how calm that water is, you are not gonna walk on it. It wasn't the rough seas. It was when he looked. He, he took his eye, he got the main thing out of focus. He got the main thing out of focus. And so our faith has to have a focal point. Our focal point needs to be Jesus. And this is the last thing I want to give you. I'll tell you this. Is that when you fix your frame, you form your future. You form your future. You know, a frame isn't just what you look through. It's not just what you see. It's not just the picture. A frame is also something you build with. It says in Hebrews 11:3, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed, established, built. When you fix your frame, you begin to form your future. I like how it says, so that the things which are seen we're not made of things which do appear. That's really what framing is. It's, it's deciding what you're gonna let in and what you're gonna leave out. Another translation says, the things which are seen were made by the things which are unseen. What, what are the things you're letting into your frame? And what are the things that you need to leave out. You know, the interesting thing about this in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Lots of translations say this different, differently. He's the, the founder and the finisher. 
one used this word to describe perfecter as developer. He's building your life. But what's really interesting about that is that that is the only place in scripture where that word appears, perfecter. Not even just in scripture, any other writings of antiquity at the time, this word doesn't show up any place else. You know what that tells me? Is there are some things that are only found in Jesus. Whatever it is you're looking for in your life, whatever you think it is that's missing, can I tell you there are some things that are only found in Jesus? Jesus. 